You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Adam Weber is the Chief People Officer and co-founder of Amplify, and the author of Lead Like a Human. At Amplify, he helps lead an innovative, highly engaged culture and shares those learnings with strategic people leaders all over the world. He's an expert and speaker on employee engagement, culture, team performance, and leadership development. In 2020, Adam was added to Business Insider's list of rising stars in human resources. Today, Adam talks to us about how he established his culture at Amplify and how we can use data to improve our own working cultures. Welcome to another episode of Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm super excited to have Adam Weber here today. Adam, welcome. Ron, good to be here. Good to see you again. Likewise, I think last time we were together, I was uh, sitting in a camper doing a podcast with you. So it's good, you to, were. good to be at an office. I'm just going to say, this looks like a really nice camper, a beautiful camper. <laughs> yeah, you're in. I've upgraded. upgraded. <laughs> uh, and look, I'm super excited. Uh, you released a new book, Lead Like a Human. I did. And it's been kind of a labor of love for the last few years. It was based on a talk I did for three or four years. Yeah. And, um, and it just have, have really enjoyed being able to share it with, uh, share it with the world. So tell me, like, why write the book? You know, I think people are as curious when people write a book, what was the why behind the book? I know it's based on a talk, but tell me, tell us more. Well, I think at the core of the why is that the workforce fundamentally shifted over the past 20, 30 years where what we used to, what employees used to value were things like benefits, stability, and compensation. And now they value authenticity of leadership. They value companies with a noble purpose and growth, personal growth opportunities. So there's this natural misalignment and these leaders were, are still leading in a way that isn't meeting their people. Like they're leading from the industrial revolution top down and they're super frustrated and they're trying really hard. And I was like, I just want to show that there's a different way, like that there is another way to lead um, and that will actually not only allow you to lead as your true authentic self as a person, but also in return, you will be leading in a way that's better aligned to your team. So you'll create high performance teams. Mm. And, you know, I, I asked someone on our podcast this um, a few episodes ago, do you think that this culture thing is evolution is it going through an evolution or is it cyclical will we come back to what it used to be what do you what do you think i i sure hope we don't go back to what it used to be i think um especially if you go all the way back to viewing employees like cogs or things like that i think there is something truly powerful about seeing the potential in a human being and motivating that person to bring their best self to work and I also think the biggest shift is that I understand why that happened like 20, 30 years ago where you didn't have metrics and visibility to make something like culture that felt so squishy. Like it's not squishy anymore. There is so much data. There's so much research, even at the individual company level, that an investment into this actually will yield return back to the business. And so it's just, I think, kind of the secrets out, right? Like that this is the way to lead and it is a more it is a more productive way. And the companies that invest in this are the companies that are go going to win. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they're, you know, the, the evolution of it was, oh, it's this fluffy talk, fluffy talk. And I went through that too. You know, it was, I was telling the story yesterday about reading the book nuts and not really believing it and getting into a conversation with someone at an airline, an employee who said, no, no, like this is the best company to work for on the planet. And I was like, oh, wow, they're, this isn't BS. There's something here. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, 
I agree. I think companies are now starting to look at it more like, wow, it's as, as important as our service. It's as important as our products. You know, it's, it's got that type of priority where it would have never, never been in that same, uh, same lane before. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I do think there will be a temptation as the market flexes, right? Like when unemployment is really low, the pressure on this for, for people even who have to make dramatic worldview shifts is very high. Mm. Sometimes there is a, um, a temptation, I think, to when the, when the, that unemployment goes up for employers to start to go back into those to, to old ways and old habits and old patterns. Right. But the other side occurs too, right? If if unemployment is low, um, and the, or sorry, you know, if we have very little unemployment, then then the employee gets to pick. And if you don't have a great culture, like culture can win that, right? For sure, yeah, yeah. And I think I, I actually think the reason why it works in both environments is like when unemployment is really low. Obviously, employers employees have plenty of choice, right? Right. But when unemployment's high. The other thing that's usually happening in companies is they have limited resources, so they're trying to get more out of less. Right. So you actually still need the people to be highly engaged in that environment as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, as I was reading your book, this one thing stuck out, and it's it, you've got it as a stick-out piece about your mom realized from a young age that education gives more than just knowledge. It gives freedom so people can choose uh, the life, what life can be. So, love that. Um, do you think that employers should be educating people? Does it drive to the company? Does it, does that drive back to culture too? I think the idea that for an individual, like for a company to become the best version of itself, every single person on the team needs to be growing. Like it's, they're not static, both at the individual level and at the collective level. And so I think anything that as a leader or, or when you're running a company that you can do that creates that, that dynamic nature inside of people and helps them grow and expand, like that is how you create healthy, not just healthy cultures, it's how you create high performance teams too, is that, that concept of like, we invest in our people because we want them to be better because we know if they're better, the company will be better. Yeah, so, so tell me more about growing. Growth is education. It's pushing people to, 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 to their limits. Tell me more about growth, what that means to you. Yeah, to me, growth, growth mindset is really this, this, you know, it's to me, it means um, a willingness to, to be wrong. Um, it is a pursuit of better. It's so it's soliciting feedback from other people. Like I, I will have other people tell me the truth about who I am and I'm willing to take and in, internalize that and then make some changes. Um, it's, I think it's the pursuit and mastery of new skills and new learning as opposed to viewing yourself as a finished product. Um, there's also like, one other one is it's, it's the ability to name um, like your mistakes, like to acknowledge that you've and learned from them as opposed to being defensive of like past decisions and things like that too. And, you know, through a lot of the things that you talked about, there's going to be this um, area of uncomfortable, you know, you're going to be uncomfortable with a lot of that. And so I feel like a lot of people retreat when they get uncomfortable. They say, Oh, this is uncomfortable. I'm going back to where I felt comfortable, but then that impedes growth. Yeah, it does. The, like the central concept in the book actually is this character. There's two characters, right? There's frustrated Frank who 
came from this industrial revolution and the values of the workforce changed. And he's like putting, you know, he's really frustrated. And it was, it's an actual person, you know, he's this guy who stood up in the middle of one of my talks and went on a diatribe for 13 minutes, he's CEO of a 400 person company and getting red in the face and just so frustrated at his workers for how hard he's trying. And there is a part of me. So he was frustrated of, with his workers. He was with he his was, workers, with, with how the values of the workforce changed. And yet he's trying so hard, but he's like, they care about, they, they, they want to hear the why behind every decision. And they, you know, like, why can't they just be happy? And why can't they just do what they say? And it's really kind of this old, it was really representative of that, that mindset from the previous era. Yeah. And I really believe that almost all of us, like when you get into management for the first time, and that's the only leader you've had, what do you go back to? You go back to that. And somewhere inside of all of us, I, I, like there's always a little bit of that frustrated Frank who's whispering in our ear when quotas are low or when performance is off or like you want to start going back to that way. And, and so I think we all um, wrestle with with kind of that that other side of who we are as a leader. And, you know, on this topic, you said when we help people um, see their own potential, you unlock them and a passion for their, their passion for growth is unstoppable. So how do we do that? How do leaders do that? How, what's a bit, you know, some of the best ways to, to really, um, see people's potential and to, and to start to unlock that. What, from your experience, what are you seeing? What are you doing? Yeah, well, that is, that is the, you know, the six steps in the book basically kind of lay those out. Like, so obviously don't want to belabor all of them, but like at, at the, the highest level, um, activating your purpose. And what I mean by that is, is the purpose of the company, like employees want to work for a company that exists for a noble reason. And it doesn't matter what you do. Have you done the work of translation to make what you do matter in the world? And then tw only 20% of the people in your company likely get to experience the manifestation of that purpose. So as a leader, what can I do for those other 80%? to collect stories and retell those stories back to the employees so that the purpose isn't some fairy tale. It is actually a part of the lived experience of what they do. Mm -hmm. That'd be one. Um, and I'll, I'll just, I'll just pick two just for yeah. the sake of brevity. I think the other one would be um, with goal setting, individual goal setting with each employee. And that, that includes both professional and personal goals and, and helping managers align and start managing individuals in like toward that individual. So do I understand the personal why of the employee and am I partnering with them or collaborating with them to help actualize that why in their life? Those would be my two, those are my two quick ones off the top of my head. Well, look, I want to go back to the purpose because I, I thought this was incredible. And I want to rewind for a little bit or, or um, I want to go back. How important do you think purpose is to a company? I think, I think that culture, like you said, it's out of the bo box. Fine. People kind of believe in this now, but I don't know if everyone's there with purpose. What are your thoughts on purpose for companies that do versus don't? I think it's essential. I think it matters deeply to, to companies. Now, what I don't mean is checking the box do we have a purpose? Like most purposes are like those old nineties posters that are dusty and on the wall. And you're kind of like, no, we have one. But then if you went and asked the employees of the company, like, do you truly know why this business exists? Um, could, would they articulate the same thing back to you one? And then two, would it be a part of their lived experience? And um, I mean, the workforce is just hungry for that. And so they will change, like they will work for a company 
that has that noble purpose. And one of the um, best examples, because one of the things when I would do this talk, people would be like, well, that's great. You're an employee engagement company. Like our purpose is to unlock the true potential of people at work. They're like, but I'm a painter. I'm a plumber. I'm, I'm a manufacturer. And um, I, one of uh, one time I, I met the CEO of CertaPro, Mike Stone. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said this great thing. He said to, to us, here's our purpose. He said, there's no more cost-effective way to beautify a person's home than applying a coat of paint. And you're like, look at that. Like that is a noble thing to do right. in the world. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It's have you done the work to mm. make sure that what you do matters in the world. And that, then your employees understand what it is. You know, when I first started to go down that path, I started to get dizzy. So this is years ago when I had the private security company. And I started to get dizzy because everybody there was this talk of purpose and vision and mission and values and, you know, all these different things. So today, we have a purpose, you know, one of my companies, Vita Living, is revolutionize affordable communities. That's our purpose. We have a BHAG, 10,000 units. We have our values. And then we have, you know, we have our tagline, you know, Vita creates homes where people are proud to live, not need to live. What do you think? Does it get too messy? Do you think I'm on the right path versus the, the vision and you're trying to scale the vision and scare the, the mission? Where does it, you know, does, does that become too much? That's a great question. First off, I was just so struck by the ones you just said. I like really like those, and they, I, I, we might we might be talking after this because I just like the way you've done the work of translation for like your industries, and it's just like those are really compelling. I mean, I think I I don't have a perfect answer there because I think the it's you have to keep it as simple as whatever you're committed to repeating. Like, I love that. I'm going to repeat that. Keep it as simple to whatever you're repeating. Say that again. Yeah. Like whatever you're willing to like reinforce with regularity, right. like right. That, that is the key. Just having them is irrelevant. Core values, purpose, mission, vision, values, mm -hmm. all those things. It's which ones are you actually committed to and are essential to like your operation that you will actually bring back up, make it a part of the phrase I always use is you have to, it's all the things that you're willing to make a part of the lived experience of your employees. Right. So, so like for us, I would say like just in, in my world, we go, our purpose is essential. Our values, like our core values are essential. And I would say our vision also. And we, and those are the three things we probably reinforce the very most. Like, so for people, listen, can you tell everyone the difference between the purpose and the vision? Yeah. Um, for, I mean, for, for us, the vision is a five-year idealized state in the future. It's where you vivid, want to be, where the company, where, want, where, where you yeah, want to be or what the company is in the future. What is it? What the company is in the future Got it. and what we will have accomplished in the future. It has clear milestones. Got it. It paints a very vivid description. It's realistic, but it's very stretching. And, okay. um, and it talks about who we are, both our culture, both what, what we've done, our revenue, all of those things. And anytime we can, so for example, this week we had our all company quarterly meeting and, and my business partner, the CEO, the whole time anybody would say something that was reflective of something in the in the vision, like that we're on the path, he would yeah. copy that that section of the vision and post it so everybody could see. So cool. that's part of the lived experience. Um, the purpose is like the why we exist in the world, like and, and it needs to be true today, you know, on our, on our best day. Um, and then the values are not not the what we do but the how do we go about what we do the behaviors the behaviors yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's great and so we were shooting yesterday uh i was mentioning we've got a book coming out we're shooting this master class a scaling culture master class and we were doing 
uh, you know, creating and executing values, bringing them to life. And we talked a lot about culture champions uh, and influencers in the company. But in your book, uh, especially in the define it and activate it section, you talked about purpose team. I hadn't heard that. I love that. Tell, tell me more. Yeah, to, to create, um, so the values team is what we used. So to create our core values, um, we, we had peers nominate before we had our value. We, we did a refresh. The, the quick version is my business partner and I started a business eight years ago. We sold the business and we kept almost all the employees to start our next business and wow. never changed our values. Same industry? And, Different, different, totally different industry, totally okay. different product that we realized we're like, wait, we're not the same company, you know, and, and yeah. so these values aren't the same values. And so we realized, you know, it's time we need to do a values refresh and um, or re redo. So we had peers nominate um, each other and we said, who best represents the values as you would believe them to be. And then we got that group together as a represent representation from every department and from every level in the business. And we wrote a vivid description of our future culture. And oh. then we looked for themes that are true today. And that's kind of the process. And, and from those themes then is how we created the values. And then we, then we figured out how to make those values measurable. Like how will we determine if we're living out the values today? But here you've got this purpose team. Is that a separate team? This, the, I hadn't heard of purpose team before. That sounded like a different team to me that was going to spread the message and stories about purpose, not necessarily value. Okay. Yeah. So, well, so si similar, similar concept though. It was like a, a team of a group of people who are like nominated by their peers who then are activating that purpose inside. The purpose, right. Yeah. So similar, yes. similar, you know, uh, similar theme to this, this group, but they're focused on, I love that. I had never really heard about that. Uh, and I thought, geez, would that apply? This may be an individual for a smaller company and maybe there's a team at a larger business. I, I love the idea of a purpose team. Yeah. And one of the things we've been, you know, part of our, our vision is this concept of like, you know, evangelism, like out in the wild, who are those people who are spreading the purpose? And it has to be bigger than the founders. It has to be bigger than just the, like, how do you activate a group of people that are out in the wild that are spreading kind of your message as well? I, I want to go to uh, engagement. That is your jam, right? I mean, the book it talks about engagement, but your business, that's your jam, right? That's what right. you guys do. And, and, can you clarify for everyone, is it just through the surveys data collection? Tell me more about uh, Amplify. Yeah. Well, Amplify is an engagement measurement company and, and manager development company. That's at the highest level. Those are yep. the two things we do. We, we, um, we basically saw that the way that people use engagement data, especially for like small and medium sized businesses was broken. It would be like an annual consultant who would come in and do a three month survey and three month analysis. And then, a only to, you know, nine months later for the CEO to say they don't communicate frequently enough. That was like right. the one side. And then the other side was people spun up these technologies that were making it really easy to gather data, but they're just dumping a lot of information on HR. And so what we saw was there was a spot in the market that needed scientifically valid visibility into their people and consulting on what to do about it at a frequency that matches the world today. So that's that's basically right. what it is. It's scientific measurement, usually done quarterly with a consultant who actually builds and partners with you to, to do action plans. So there is a human being consult. This isn't a tech that says two plus two is four, here's the solution. It, it's, it's exactly both. We're 50-50, so we're, a, we're a consulting and tech company merged together. Wow, great. And, you know, I, I was looking through the book and you you get into employee engagement drivers. Now there's a lot of drivers, right? 
And I was thinking to someone who might be on the path of creating culture and trying to get this thing turned around, talk to me about what you believe. If, if you just are, you know, you've got this horrible culture right now and not, you know, your, your folks aren't engaged. Where do you start with these drivers? Because you, you, there's a lot here. You, you could get dizzy quickly. What do, you, what do you find from your experience are the most impactful drivers and why? Yeah, that's a great question. So, and there are, there's set, I mean, humans are complex. That's why there's, so there's 17, we believe there's 17 different drivers of engagement. And, and there are things like the manager, authenticity of leadership, purpose, psychological safety, trust, those types of things. But at the highest level, what causes disengagement inside a company is when a team of people all have the same issue. The same driver is causing an issue. And every, every company is different. And that's the power of measurement is that what you can do is you can look at, at the macro level of your entire company and go, what are the themes in our company that cause disengagement? Um, can, oh, go ahead. So when you, well, I was just going to say, so that's done through a survey. So let's just say I'm the customer. I'm saying, look, I, I've got problems. This is done through a survey. Adam, that's where you start. Yeah, it takes about five. It's a five day survey. Basically, we go five to the, day, wow. five days and then the next week we're back in front of the company going, hey, here's the biggest issue that we see inside the culture. And, you know, a common one just to bring it to life. Yeah. Would be probably the most common issue. And this is why we also do the manager training program. But is a whole bunch of first like top individual contributors just got promoted into management for the very first time. The company does not have a good soft skill training program. Those managers are the ones interfacing with employees and they're wreaking havoc on the org. <laughs> and mm. usually it's because of they're not creating psychologically safe environments. They show up inconsistently. They don't give proper feedback. They don't run great one-on-ones, all of those things. You're right. Or, you know, I've seen the other side where they're just really pleasant people and, and really struggle with the accountability side, oh, you know? Exactly. So, very true. Yes, very true. High, how do you set high expectations that are fair and consistent? Yes, all of those right. things. Yeah, interesting. And so you get the data, you, you come back, how do you solve the problem? So, so is this an online training that, that the, okay, fine, our managers don't have the soft skills, now what? Yep, exactly. So like at the top, at the macro level of the org, we align the leadership team so that they have both clear, we're not trying to win awards with what we do. We're trying to tell leaders the truth about the organization and give them some simple actions to do and, and, and how to communicate. So that's like at the top of the org. And then for managers, it's, we're guiding them through the tool, right? Hey, based on what we learned statistically, we're confident one of these five actions is the best thing you can do. Pick one of these actions. We'll do train, we'll train you on how to do it. Go back to your team and verify that these are the right things. And then they log the action and now leadership can track and monitor. Adam, when you start and you start asking these questions, because uh, you're not known to the, you know, maybe you send some teaser video to the organization. I don't know how the, yeah. you integrate the customer, but how do you get the right information? What's the, what is your strategy on asking questions, right? Versus, and what are you seeing? Because a lot of people, we try to do these internal surveys today and there's got to be right and wrong way to ask a question. Yeah, well, that's why you use a third party too. There's a lot of academic research behind um, like creating scientifically valid questions. So that's like the one side, like having a third party builds trust inside, like that it's not like if you send it out, you're every Ron's going to know it was, you know, like, like there's no uh, anonymity. But the other part is how do we promote this internally? Like how do we talk about why we care about engagement? And so there's a lot of focus for us on just the general communication 
um, on why we chose a company like Amplify, what we're planning on doing with it. But candidly, all that stuff, you can nail all that stuff. None of it matters unless when you ask for feedback from employees, you actually do something about it. Right. That is really the essence of, and, and so sometimes for us, you know, employees start really skeptical and it's usually that third quarter when they go, oh my gosh, they're like listening and it's the, we have the CEO's ear, he, you know, they're responding, um, managers are responding. So uh, it, sometimes you have to earn that trust over time too. Well, it's interesting. I was asking the question, have you read Nine Lies About Work? I, I have it on my bookshelf right now. I, I just it. got it. That's okay. awesome. We had Ashley, uh, one of the co-authors, uh, Goodall, on uh, on our podcast a little while ago. And, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me was they really talked about how you, they, they had done the, the uh, research with ADP and talked about through their research, the right way to ask a question to see if someone really enjoyed their team. And at a high level, it was basically, you know, the common question is, you know, is Adam a good communicator? And they said, you, that is a lie as far as getting good data from that, because that's my opinion of you based on a point in time. And two, usually I'll reflect how I feel about myself. Like they just kind of pointed all this data around it. And really what they were saying is people own their feelings. So the questions should be asked, you know, Ron, do you feel excited when communicating yeah. with Adam? Is that a good strategy? Are they right or are they wrong? Yeah, I know. I think they're right. I think they're onto something. I think that, um, I think the way that you phrase questions gets at the root, you know, of the of the issue. And like, and for us, you know, the the basics. We have um, these seventeen drivers that we kind of ask questions, and we actually call them statements. We don't ask questions. We we create statements um, around these drivers. So I so I e here's a statement. Ron's a great uh, empathetic servant leader. One not agree whatsoever. Want him to die. And five, I want him to invite him over for turkey dinner. Right. I love exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then the big shift is then at the end, as soon as you press submit to the, all the multiple choice, we run an AI that asks one qualitative question. Instead of like a traditional survey at the end, it just says, hey, you know, ask for just open qualitative feedback. All the employees say the same thing. We want liquor at the holiday party. We wish, you know, we want better, we want a better wellness program. It's like, they just dump information. What we do is we use a quick calculation to go, what is the most pressing thing in this employee's world? And let's ask them to try to improve it themselves. So, so walk me through that. So Ron's a bad boss. And so the question says, okay, I say one, he's horrible. Then the question becomes. That qualitative question then says, you know, it's specific to that, that relationship. And it says, what, like, what would you start? or stop to make things better. Basically you're doing a start stop to, to get so what to should Ron solve. do. I'm answering, you know, you're answering that for me. What should, what should your boss do to stop making you feel this way? What like, so, so say it's, let me, let me pick an example of uh, feed role clarity. For example, yeah. that's a common one right now with COVID everybody's yeah. world got thrown into a tizzy and we see that role clarity is like causing an actual, it's causing statistically causing disengagement for this individual. So we say, Hey, what do you think the organization can do to improve role clarity? Uh, you go up. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah, you, you get that up. person to go up. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Got it. I love that. And so I want to go back to another point because you have, uh, you've got in your book, you know, this point about the majority of employees would rather see their boss fired than receive pay raise. I laughed when I read that. I loved it. <laughs> so let me go back to you get data and it's pointing to the CEO. It's pointing to the C-suite. How do you have that conversation? That's got to be uncomfortable. Tell me about that. It is uncomfortable. It, um, but if 
So it's better us than, than HR, <laughs> you know, right. for one. And, <laughs> and two, I, I will say the amount of CEOs who have been changed by data, like the people have probably been trying to tell them everything this data is saying anecdotally for years, but data is a cold splash of water. And there is a decision point, I will say, um, for most leaders when they see hard truth about themselves. You can either put your head in the sand or you can have that growth mindset and lean forward for transformational change. Um, and that happens, you know, that's, that is kind of the decision to make. And I will say when it doesn't work, it is like with us and most, the vast majority of the time it does, it's when the CEO sees a hard truth and isn't willing to change uh, and, and, and kind of puts their head in the sand. And do they, and, you know, with your organization, do they have to, and I don't know if you do that leadership work with them, uh, and if so, do they have to make a really upfront, a strong upfront commitment? Or it's like, look, this is it, Ron, it's you. We're out of here unless you can really commit. Yeah, well, usually it's, you know, that's a pretty, that'd be a pretty dramatic example, but, but it does matter. I mean, I love drama. Yeah. <laughs> it matters a lot that the CEO of an organization would be committed to enacting actions based on what the employees are thinking and yeah. feeling. And yeah. if we're coming to them saying, hey, this is hurting performance on the team, it's very rare that a CEO would go, I say we continue. <laughs> let's let's stick to business as usual. But there's a lot of CEOs. I've seen this at you know small to mid-level companies that are that that where they're small enough the, the CEO has still has some significant interactions. Maybe they're still involved with meetings, they walk by people, whatever it is, and they've farmed out to a third party or to HR, look, I don't get culture, you be culture, you're in charge of culture. And so you've got the passive aggressive leader. And you've got this person who's trying to fight the passive aggressive, can't get anything across because the CEO's undermining everything that's happening. You must see that. See that a lot. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is really our work to do. You know, now a lot of times those people are the ones who don't become customers, <laughs> just to be candid, right? right? They're, yeah, they're the ones who are really resistant. Yeah. Um, but I have seen, I mean, I have seen um, many CEOs' minds be changed, though, too, by the data, who maybe right. came in with that kind of guarded wall. And then in one, in the very first time they see it go, like, oh, what, like, they're, they become aware of their own impact. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it does, it does, it can deflate, it can take the air out of this like really tense environment right away when it's like, oh, like you're in on it too. Okay. You see it now. Like, right. And so let's stay on data. Cause that's, that's a big part of your business, right? Um, what are some of the key data points? You know, data that's saying the right things and wrong things. What are you seeing? I want to talk about that. And then I want to talk about what you're seeing based on today's landscape. What are the big data points that we may not know about? Yeah. So, say that. So I, I got stuck on your second one. I was going to talk about today. What What was the other one? So the first question is typically when you go in, the data says, you know, what are some great uh, feedback that you get from a data perspective? Because I'm sure that happens. You go in and you're like, wow, Ron, everything's great here. You're looking good. You don't need us. High five. See you later. That must happen once in a while. Uh, and so what is the data saying? Just that people are really switched on. And then where is the black cloud? What do you see? What's the most common theme? You talked about safety in the workplace. And now you talked about, and maybe this is more about today's landscape of COVID, not knowing the ambiguity about not knowing roles. But, but typically, pre-COVID, what's it look like? Good data, bad data. What, what's the typically, companies that are getting it right, data says this, companies get it wrong, data says that. Yeah, well, com companies that are getting it right in general, 
are what, what's working is that their people are showing up and willing to both give their focus and their force. So they're showing up and they're saying, they're saying, hey, I am willing to give my best today and I'm motivated to do so. So force kind of a, being willingness. Tell me. Yeah, force. force being their effort. Effort, force okay. being effort and focus being like I have I have all the things in place like at the at the core essence of engagement that's what it is like Got I it. am showing up motivated and I have everything I need to like bring my best self to work okay um, before COVID the thing I laid out was definitely the most common thing that we saw in the data which was um, managers wreaking havoc without soft skill training since COVID. I would actually say that one's gotten worse in general because now there are communication barriers that used to be resolved in hallway conversations, a look, a nonverbal that are now exacerbated. Um, and so that safety and feedback, those two drivers have gotten even more distant. But then there's these other things that are just happening in our world too that are showing up in the data. Like one, we have never seen, so we have, we have a couple drivers that we look at that are about burnout. Capacity is a big one and rest is the other one. And when those two drivers work together, um, it can it can dramatically hurt productivity. People are burning I, out. Yeah, they're burning out. And I will just say collectively, the entire workforce right now, if I mean we're looking at hundreds of thousands of employees is how many are you know using our tool. The workforce in general is burnout right now. Wow. Um, and it's and it's for the first time that we've seen, it's less because of work and it's more because of all the things that are surrounding work as well. Home life, work. politics. So social unrest, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it is managing all of these new factors. Um, it's being displaced, it's working in a new environment. It's all of those, those things. So that one is big. Um, Stay a on lot that for of, one sec, yeah, Adam, sorry. Sure. And, and don't lose your thoughts and make a note no, if okay. you have to. So I want you to get to your next point, but how do we, how do we help that? That's a big problem. It is, it is a big problem. Um, some of you know some of the best think companies that use our tool right now. What they're doing, like there was a movement. We we were one of the people that were leading this movement on unlimited PTO, right? So the PTO the problem part -time. Uh, or paid time off, right? Oh, or unlimited. You know, you could take yeah, you could take as much time off as you need here. We don't manage it. We trust you. Worked relatively well, and it was an attractive recruitment tool. Post COVID. No one's taking time off because there's nowhere to go. And they also know likely when the, in the economy is going down that they feel extremely guilty or they right. don't feel safe or secure in their role. Right. And so one of the things is as a leader, are we talking about this collective burnout? How are we encouraging employees to take time off? We, we took um, at our company, we did a thing for one month. We took Friday off for the whole month. And the main reason was to uh, nobody was taking vacation at all at our company. And we were like, if we just align everybody's schedules, it's convenient. It builds loyalty. I think they deeply appreciated it. But we did other that in the month of May. Was that May? Did we yeah. both do this in May? Yes, we did. Yeah, exactly. We did May too. That's hilarious. We are very That's, aligned. Keep going. Wow. Uh, we, we said that earlier. We got the same views here. So, but um, one of the things, like there's a, comp a couple companies right now who are doing, yes, we still have a self-managed policy for taking time off but we're requiring everyone to take at least five days off from today until the end of the year. So, and, and there's, and they're giving context as to why, because we care about you. You need a break. Like, um, 
So I think that's the that's the that's the big stuff tied to that. We mm-hmm. we've also seen people talk about how to so, take time off when you have nothing to do. <laughs> Adam, I want to go back there because it's very interesting. That's very counterintuitive. Is accountability on rest, accountability on ment, you know, at people's mental state. And so you're saying companies should be actually pushing that and 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 being accountable for those decisions, accountable to help people that that won't help themselves. They won't get out of their own way to say, you know, to your other points, I feel guilty. I can't do it. I'm not going to take time off. And so really we're responsible for that. I love that. Absolutely. I'm I assure everyone I have plenty of data points to at least say you need to be having the conversation with your company right now on rest and on burnout. If you're not, you're, like your employees are all feeling it. it. You would be in the you would be in the rarest of exceptions, and and so as a leader, you always want to be in on the conversation of the most pressing needs of your employees. And what about leaders? Because I'll, I'll share this. You know, everyone's had these big aha moments, or a lot of people. I don't know if I want to live here anymore. I'm moving there. I'm leaving my business. I'm leaving working my from spouse. a camper or whatever hey, it may be. Working. You had you had some problems with the camper. That was big. I didn't want to share that. You shared that. No. Uh, for me, I felt, I felt leadership burnout. I felt like, wow, you know, after I've been, you know, I'm 41, I've been doing this for 20 years where I've been leading organizations and I just kind of felt burnout. And, and then I felt silly because I'm like, I'm 41, come on, you know, people lead companies till they're 75. Um, but I really felt burnout. And so what about the leader side who are burning out? Should they just do the same thing? Should they take time off? What, what are you suggesting? What do I, I do, Adam? You're like, yeah, I think it's, I think there's something to authentic leadership to naming that you are not detached from that scenario. Right. The same. So even in this, like role clarity is tied to this too, this whole thing too, like our world just dust just got kicked up, kicked up. Right. And like, I, as a leader myself, I, my role, I, I have been burnout. I've been confused. Like, am I adding value? Because my value looks different than it did before COVID. And so I'm like, I have some days where I'm like, I started this company. I still have days where I'm like, am I, what, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing here? And I'm tired. Like it's, it's a real thing for everyone. Their leaders are not detached from like, we, we're real people too. There's real, real human beings going through a global pandemic and social unrest and our businesses have been thrown into chaos. Yeah, families, and it, yeah. families, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, that's great. Um, I've loved this conversation. This has been really great. I really appreciate your time. Um, anything else? What else? Let's end with anything else that you think is really important, you know, that maybe we haven't talked about that you want to uh, have our listeners here. Well, maybe I'll just close on the last, we didn't talk about the chapter on centeredness, which is my first uh, okay. first tip. Let's and the one thing I would say about that is just that oftentimes, and we, we look for new books and new techniques and new tips. And the whole point of centeredness is to say, the key to authentic leadership is the first step is to become an authentic person. And there are genuine um, disciplines and practices in how you can show up yourself every day in a consistent way. And as, as an authentic leader to begin the journey of looking inward yourself, not outward, not to a book, not to a podcast, but to also do the work yourself to go, how am I doing? Like, how am I showing up? What disciplines, what people in my life? Like, and so I don't want to, I don't want to miss that because I think it is central to actually all the tips and techniques and all of that is moot if you're not committed to the journey yourself as a leader. But how do you start with, because it's a big blind spot. Some don't see that, right? They just don't see it. And so 
even getting to that question, that's tough. That's like the biggest hurdle, right? It is the, it is the, it is the biggest hurdle. I, I mean, the book lays out kind of my framework for it, but at the, at the highest level, it's, you have to have people in your life who are willing to tell you the truth about who you are. And that may be a mentor, a peer, your employees, whatever it may be, but you need that. And you need um, rhythms for you that allow you to show up in a consistent and steady way. Um, like, but I, I want to go back go to ahead. the first point, yeah. you know, because that is also, you know, that that's in line with like, Hey, uh, Adam, I'm going to tell you something. I saw your partner at the bar hanging out with so-and-so and uh, I don't think you think, you know, you might want to look into that. I feel like that partner they were making out with, so whatever that is, that's like in line with that, right? When you're going to tell someone the truth, you know, you could, that's risk of me to alienate you. And maybe we're not going to be friends anymore, depending on how that lands. So how do we, how do we, I'm just curious, what's the softest way to deliver the yeah. truth? <laughs> that is, that was a, that was a scenario I wasn't expecting. So I, cause I think, well, I think some of it is that's where coaches are, are really helpful yeah. too. Like the most practical or, or obvious scenario is like when you get thrust into leadership, there's always a moment where you are unaware of how you're showing up and you like char a field behind you and you look at it and you go, uh Oh, a field's charred. And you kind of have this moment where you're like, I definitely had something to do with this. I might've had everything to do with it, but as you grow in self, like growing in self-awareness means as those moments are happening where you're starting to go into your default mode, you kind of have them named so that you can at least move a little slower in those, in those environments. And so, I mean, I would, I would probably say like a coach, personality assessments, things like that are probably your safest bucket to start. In, in hey, Adam, like feel, I love you. Fill this out for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> You know, it's interesting. I hear, you know, I hear a lot of people say this, and I'm sure you come across it, where, where you know someone's got this big, you know, monster blind spot. And their version is, look, this is me. I'm authentic. Yeah. Yeah. This is the real me. I deliver the truth. And so that's what they believe. Yeah. And I always say this, and I talk with my wife about this a lot, is I'll say, look, you know, people get caught in this. And my belief is that if your authentic self, if your truth self is having a negative impact on those around you, you have a blind spot. It's a problem. Right. If it's not fine, you've, you know, it's working, but if it's having a negative impact, that's a problem. I to total, totally agree. I mean, I think that's the, and, and really the, the synergist thing is for that person. It's not your job to help that person find that it's that person who is committed to that journey, starting to seek feedback from other people to say, and, and if that's your true authentic self, but it's wreaking havoc on your organization, that is an area to grow in yourself. You're not, a, you are not a static person. You are a fluid person who's, who's moving and developing and um, great leaders don't just accept, <laughs> don't accept like, well, if I do this thing and it's hurtful, I'm going to, it's hurtful to my organization, to my business goals, to whatever. I'm not going to continue down that path. I'm going to make a change that improves the outcome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Adam, dude, I like have a man crush on you. I hate to do that live <laughs> on air like this, but it, it really is. I love all of your strong clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It, we do that. That's a Canadian clothes. I love you. That's a Canadian. Clothes. Uh, where can people pick up lead like a human? Uh, Amazon's the best place. So just, okay. if you just go to Amazon and type in lead like a human, 
it's there. Excellent. Uh, look, thanks so much. I've enjoyed the conversation. I love peppering you too. This is a lot of fun for me as my American friend. Uh, and uh, we hope to have you back. Ron, thanks so much. I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, thanks so much. Look forward to being back. Cheers. For more information on Adam or anything else related to scaling culture, please see the show description for details. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.